podcast one production. Recently, Lockie, my six-year-old, was sitting there doing some schoolwork and he asked for my help, but I just couldn't help him. I had Ella on my hip. I was cooking dinner. I was refereeing the other two kids. And I just, in that moment in time, I could not help him. And it triggered a really powerful memory for me when I was a kid and this realisation when I was a kid that my parents also were often unable to help me. I was the youngest of four and my mum, who was just such an incredible mum to us, but she was busy, you know, she was raising four kids and my best friend was an only child and I used to spend a lot of time at her house and, you know, that was the opposite in her house. Her mum was just always there for her and I remember how that felt for me and I really as a mum I'd always promised myself that I would be there for my kids no matter what and I realised I'm working my mum didn't even work and she was still so busy and I started to get a bit worried that I'm kind of going down this path where I'm not going to be there for my kids This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips And in this episode, we're going to delve into how our own childhood experiences might be impacting how we parent. Raising children can trigger big emotions and we suddenly find ourselves questioning the way we parent, maybe comparing to others or to how we were raised. Maybe we're feeling we're not parenting as well as our beloved mum did, or maybe we're seeing ourselves falling into the same traps and feeling like that we're actually turning into our mother. Joining me today is psychologist Robin Grill, who believes that these disrupting times can be traced back to our own childhood experiences, and he's been studying this exact topic for over a decade. Hi, Robin. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to be with you. Now, you've been a psychologist for 30 years. You've done a TEDx talk and written three books, and your latest book is Inner Child Journeys, How Our Children Grow Us Up. And I just love this tagline so much. Like, our kids really do grow us up. I feel like they teach us more than we teach them. What made you decide to write this book? One of the big drivers, and there were many, for uh, deciding to sit down and write this book is that out of my first two books, I was invited to speak with parents a lot, both in my private practice and and running workshops for parents around the world all over Australia. And I really picked up on on a huge kind of a, a wave, like an epidemic of parent guilt, really excruciating parent guilt. Mothers feel it. Dads feel it. Oh, yeah. Mothers feel it so intensely. We feel it. Oh, and it's it's uh, it's agonizing. And it occurred to me that there, this is an era where there's so much parenting science around in, in absolute bucket loads of the stuff, and um, which is good in, in some ways. It's good to, to have all this um, neuropsychology and imagery of the brain, and we understand so much more about how interactions impact the growing brain of the child, et cetera, et cetera. On the one hand, that should be really empowering information. On the other hand, it's cast a shadow insofar as, oh, now we know all the things we can get wrong, and the big D word looms large and I hear so many people wringing their hands and coming up and saying, oh my God, have I damaged my child's brain forever? And parents get these horrific kind of imageries of, you know, I did not pick up my crying baby for two nights in a row or I screamed at my toddler, that's it, they're going to grow up to be, you know, like a drug addled, <laughs> you know, criminal and my, it's going to be my face in the paper, etc. you know. So and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, these uh, it's like shark music playing in, in one's head. 
the, the fear of the damage. And uh, there's so much more to it than that. And uh, I'm um, bothered by what parenting books don't say, actually. So much instruction to the parent, but not enough care of the parent. And, you know, the truth is, well, two big truths right now. The, the first thing is that kids can go through all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to be glib about it, but even some traumatic stuff, you know, within limit. It's what happens afterwards that makes all of the difference. And that should be one of the most reassuring things to hear. It's what we do afterwards that makes all of the difference, right? How we reconnect after there's been a disconnection. That's a whole book in itself. And the other thing that I pay attention to uh, in this book, In a Child Journeys, is first of all, let's get honest with one another. Let's get real. None of us live up to what it says in the books. We do our darndest. I think most parents are incredibly magnificent, actually. Our hearts grow bigger than our chest cavity. We're broken open by our kids. Sometimes we're also broken down by our kids. And also the lack of support. There's nowhere near enough support for mums and dads to do a job that is really, by definition, your baby, your toddler will ask you for more than what you have inside you to give. So it's a strain. It's the hardest job in the world. So it's the most beautiful job in the world. And we all fall short. Everybody did. Everybody does. I did. I did not live up to every page of my book. Ask my daughter. She can explain it to you. And there's a reason for that. I did want to ask you that saying that yeah, I think I'm turning into my mother. Mm-hmm. Is it actually true? I know there's mm-hmm. genetics, there's lifestyle factors, but are there other reasons behind how our own experience as a child might shape who we become as parents? Oh, yeah. And this is such a universal thing. And I wish we'd all open up to each other about it so everyone would feel a little bit more human again. That there's probably nothing more of a, 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 a more common experience that that moment when you make a vow, I will never behave towards my children the way that my mum and dad did at their worst. And you make a vow, most people do. And then the, the first thing that happens is you, you, you break that vow and you've already broken it several times. And under great stress, under great overwhelming, over-demand and stress, what happens is we all catch ourselves sounding exactly like our mum and dad. Which at, it can at, be a good thing, you know. At their best. Yes, At their best. And, you know, when, when we're having a good day, when we're feeling motivated, um, supported, you know, big-hearted on the day, you can't count on that every day. And on a day of overstrain, there you go. You start, like me, I start shaking my finger exactly like my dad used to do, and I hated that, you know, when he would start lecturing. And I sound like him when I've become a bit of a lecturer. Ah. And, uh, Why do we do, we do this? What if, you know, genetics aside, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is there something else going on that makes us slide in that intrinsic path of becoming like our parents? Yeah, so much you could say about that to explain it. Our brains as children record the messages that we get from our parents, the steady and repeated messages, and we start to speak ourselves in their voice, the uplifting messages as well as the shaming messages. And brain scientists have even found where that those kind of um, emotional memories are stored in the prefrontal lobes. There's regions of the brain that are still talking back at you. And we all are familiar with those voices we hear in our heads, the voices of shame uh, quite often, or the judgment voices, those habitual automatic judgments that we get about our children, that little brat. 
you know, the fussy baby, you know, the, the lazy adolescent, et cetera, et cetera, the judgmental towards self and others' voices, we carry that stored in the brain, but also stored in terms of body memory, which is something that's been understood so much better. Um, they Talk call to me it about the, that. Yeah, implicit memory is what the neuroscientists call it. And it sits separately in the brain than narrative memory. Narrative memory is the story memory that you can make a little film in your head about what happened and and the order of events, right? Kind so of like you, the yeah. explicit, the implicit and the explicit Absolutely, memory. Absolutely, yeah. I prefer to call the implicit memory a body memory because it is kind of a bodily experience. And that's the state in which you remember not necessarily what happened, but how it felt. The pleasurable sensations, the happy moments, as well as the sad and painful moments, the angry moments in our lives. And it takes a trigger in our environment to bring up not the complete necessarily recall, but just a kind of a waft of that earlier state. Triggers can be anything. It could be a smell, the smell of lavender that reminds you, brings back that lovely feeling of being with your grandma or a particular song that brings back that excited feeling of your first dance. It, it, it's oh, like they're you, so powerful. Like you're those, there again. Yeah, smells yeah. And, and songs. I mean, I can play a song. Uh, I played one the other day, a 90s song, and it took me straight back to high school. It took me straight back to my art classroom singing out loud. It was a cranberry song, Linger, and I was like, oh, my <laughs> goodness, I, I feel like that 17-year-old girl in the art classroom. Oh, uh, the 90s. You're going to have to do a pilgrimage to uh, Seattle or something and listen to the grunge bands again. <gasps> oh, my goodness, uh, yeah. I don't want to remember all of the 90s. In fact, <laughs> I don't think I can. I don't know what's been stored mm. implicitly, but please, let's not bring mm-hmm. those up. <laughs> and invariably, things do bring it up. And But guess what the biggest trigger for implicit memory, body memory, is? Your children. The sound of their voice, their little bodies, you know, the demands they make, their, you know, when they cry, when they laugh. All those are power moments that have the, the potential to work deeply under your skin and bring back a lot of the feeling from your own childhood. Is and that because it's almost taking you back? Like when you're witnessing your child um, having a big meltdown or just, you know, completely upset about something, is that because it's triggering, reminding you how you felt when you were going through a similar thing at that age? It does that and it, it happens quickly and it happens automatically and it can be a wonderful thing because it can trigger one of the things that gets triggered a lot is the love that you received from whoever cared for you and there's a instant desire to pass that on the protectiveness the love the support the playfulness that you receive you want to pass that on and that's this wonderful function of of body memory and how lucky are we and what's interesting about it is you don't necessarily get the narrative memory that comes with it which is your yeah. actual memory of almost yeah. like a storybook of what happened. It's like some of the time you might know, but often you don't know. I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but this is how I want to behave, right? So that's on the positive side. And on the more potentially scary, painful side, um, say your toddler having a tantrum, that is very likely, it's a powerful experience and a difficult one. It is very likely to trigger for you Everything that surrounded you and your experience of when you were having a tantrum at a similar age, uh, you know, basically how your protest, how your, your angry emotions were treated when you were a kid. And if that was a harsh and punitive environment for you or a shaming environment for you, 
it raises the likelihood that you're going to feel shaming towards your child and punitive, like you get overwhelmed. You, you get, it's like you can't stand the energy of your child's tantrum. Deep down, it's not, it's not nothing to do with your child. It's the feelings that are coming up for you that you can't stand. Can you give me examples of uh, the common narratives? So we've just spoken about anger and, you know, when a toddler's having a tantrum. What are some other of the top common big emotions or narratives that us mums might experience with our kids? So many, and I hear them so, so very, very often. You know, the fussy baby, this baby's too needy. What is wrong with this baby? Often it's self-blaming. I must be a bad mom. What is wrong with me? Toddlers that talk back. A huge trigger for how often we were squashed when we wanted to voice our opinions and say, no, I don't like this right now. You know, if we come from an authoritarian style of parenting background, toddlers that talk back and we feel incredibly put out by that. You know, how dare you? How dare you express what I wasn't allowed to express? You know, bad, naughty person, right? Right, um, yeah, I understand. Uh, that makes sense. Um, it is a bit of an outrage, isn't it? That our kids want to have what we didn't have. You know, with primary school kids who don't love what they're learning and then we call them lazy and we get frightened and we think they're never going to amount to anything because they resist their homework and we have all kinds of shoulds. We don't ask them what they love to do. We don't see how well they work when they're working at something that is naturally interesting to them. We judge so quickly. And with teenagers as well, teenagers get blamed for having opinions. They're huge up and down emotions that happen, which is very, very normal for a teenager. There's a lot of changes going on in their brain, which makes them very explosive emotionally and very impulsive and not very good at judging consequences and they're risk takers, and that's normal, so they're difficult people to live with. But there's a tendency for the adult world to become very judgmental, unfairly so, because we don't understand. Uh, we have expectations based on the expectations that we got kind of hit with at their age, etc., etc., etc. I mean, when we hear our own judgmental voices, rather than just kind of act on that automatically, without weighing it all up. The good thing about this is we can read that as a signal that points to where we've been wounded. And that's important because it's like our own inner child, inner baby, inner toddler, inner adolescent, still waiting for an opportunity to heal from those early wounds. And now our interaction with our real child has really alerted us to that and brought it home. We've been trying to ignore our own wounding and pretend it's not there. The function of all of this is that your kids bring back to you a kind of a very powerful message. Look at that stuff for you. It's calling you. There's an incompleteness that wants to be completed. First of all, it removes that the flatness of guilt, that automatic thing where we either blame or shame or guilt our child or ourselves. Because there's something far more dynamic we can do with these moments that are so very, very normal and, and common and widely shared. And the other good thing is that now, you know, if you look at those signals of our own wounding, you now have an opportunity to give yourself some kind of a restorative experience that is appropriate to the age that you are now 
you're not going to go and be a baby again and get carried around by people. But a- appropriate to your age now on the themes of whether it's, you know, uh, support or um, nurturance or setting better boundaries for yourself or um, pursuing your dreams in a way that you weren't allowed to as a child or expressing your opinions, your ideas more assertively, all of those things that are still waiting to be fulfilled that got blocked in your growing up, the difficult interactions that are the ones that repeat a lot with your kid and those voices you hear in your head, bingo, that's a doorway. Take a little inner child journey and you realize there's something waiting to be fulfilled for you that is not going to be too hard for you to have. And you gain from that. You gain in your own personal growth and healing. But also that is the pathway that helps you to become more intuitive and understanding towards those baffling things that your own child does in front of you. You get to, um, by understanding your own inner child, it really, really helps you to decode those weird things uh, that your child does. say that you have a mum come into your practice and there's a repetitive um, pattern going on with the behaviour, you know, the dynamic between mum and child. I'm going to use myself as an example here, if that's okay. Sure. Um, So I've got this narrative that because I'm a working mum, that I don't give my kids enough attention, that I'm not there for them enough. Um, I look back on my childhood, I was the youngest of four. My dad was that, you know, traditional, he went off to work and he was a real escapist. He was a real distant person. I found it quite hard to connect with my dad. My mum's beautiful and she just put so much into the relationship, but she was also a busy mum with four kids as I am, busy mum with four kids. And I have this sort of narrative going on that I don't, you know, I want to be really present for my children. Um, How would you help someone like me work through the kind of guilt of not being there. But then when I'm there, I'm like, tell me everything. Why aren't you telling me about your day at school? I want to hear everything. And I can feel a discourse like you talk about that sort of bell ringing the loudest. I feel like for me, that would be an example. Yeah, thank you for that. The first thing that I'm curious about is why guilt? Why guilt? It's good to question guilt. Because where that potentially gets in the way for you, if I may take the risk of saying, is that then the moments that you do have with your children and you want to enjoy the connection, it's charged with your own guilt potentially. It has a load of your own guilt. like, And that will be there in your face, in your voice. Like this is not just our moment right now. This is our makeup time, which I owe you. And I think that will dampen Potentially, it gets in the way. It dampens the, the fullness of the, of, of the connection that you can have in the afternoon when you come home. And so uh, if we did have some time together to have a bit of a journey, it would be like looking at what was the role that guilt played in your family in growing up. We could probably have some really, really rich conversations about that. How did your body learn to produce guilt as a defense system, really? Because it also... 
it darkens your screen that, you, that it blocks you from seeing all these other possibilities. So you do feel some pain about the fact that you work as much as you do and you've got four beautiful children and you want to have 48 hours in a day and have it all and it hurts not to be able to have it all. And you do feel a little bit of that distance. What a great conversation to have with your children that would be because fundamentally you're not going to be able to be everything for your kids. And there's a part of your child that wants you to be everything and might be mad at you because why can't you be here the whole time and just go to work at night while we're asleep? But there's there, also, just jumping yeah. in there for a sec, uh, kids will just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and this is yeah. what I've observed with my children. If yeah. I say yes to this, well, then they're just going to want it again or twice as much or four times of it. And so, yep. you know, you need to create those boundaries. Yes, and the other need that they have from you is that they are most nourished by you when you're real with them. So, mum, even if I don't have you for as long a time as I want, and even if I'm a bit mad with you about that, and I'm a bit hurt by that, but what's fulfilling is that when you come, you support my truth and you speak yours. And the richness of that connection is bigger and better than absolutely everything. That's what helps me to grow up. Connection comes from telling the truth of how you feel, okay? So the intentional vulnerability of that. If you feel a little sad sometimes because you missed out on all the time you could have had, if you dare to show that, also if you dare to allow your your children to say to you whatever they feel about that, one of them might say, look, I'm so happy you go to work. I don't want you around all the time. One of them might say, you know, I missed you yesterday, whatever it is. Allowing them the space to speak all of that to you and you're speaking your truth, that's rich. It's like jumping into a swimming pool. At first, you're scared because of the cold water. Once you're in, you'll be wondering why you weren't in there all along. Okay, and if the guilt comes in too strong and you just get into that habit, you fail to see that and you fail to take advantage of, of that conversation, that beautiful restorative a heart-building conversation that you could be having with them. And of course, for uh, for the mums out there, we're using guilt as an example, but you could just mm. replace that with many other big emotions that we might be feeling, you know, exhaustion, anger, um, yep. uh, defiance, jealousy, whatever those feelings are. It's that same kind of process that we just spoke about. I don't think we can really decide our emotions. It's not like there's a switch. However... When you make a good I statement about how you feel, which is the opposite of blame, shame, and judge, just acknowledging your feeling without making a big kind of drama out of it, but just saying, today I feel sad, right now I feel annoyed and angry, whatever that is, when we allow those moments, that's a moment of deep, deep connection and is very, very satisfying. Okay, so I'm always saying to parents, and this is so worth remembering, the bad stuff will happen. There's moments of disappointment and some moments of pain. In amongst all the moments of love and beauty. It's what we do with that afterwards. Open-hearted conversations. That's everything. When I talk to adults in my practice as a psychologist, what I really learn from them, they're not mad at their parents for the bad stuff that the parents did. They're mad at their parents because no one came afterwards the following day and said, hey, I care about you. How did that make you feel? 
I lost control last night. I blew, I lost my temper. How did that make you feel? You have a right of reply and I'm interested. Okay, that makes so much of the difference. What would you suggest mums out there do who had a pretty rough upbringing and they've, they're worried that they're going to pass some of that onto their children? If you've had a rough upbringing and you know that you've had a rough upbringing and you're no longer in denial about it, that's already a huge step forward where you start to get a lot of freedom from not just repeating and passing it on. It's people in denial about that stuff that are far more at risk of passing it all on. How do we know if we're in denial? What if (laughs) I'm in denial right now? Can you see it as a psychologist? Uh, Okay, it's lamentable, isn't it? But I can't magically just look at you and go, yeah, denial written all over your face. I would, have to, I would have to have a longer conversation. What if I'm in denial as well? We're all growing. So, you know, I think the cure for everything is curiosity. Be curious about yourself. And what happens is that if there are moments of pain from your childhood that you weren't aware of, because we work hard to forget it all. We just want the happy stuff. Um, and, and it's a bummer in a way because so much of our wisdom comes from the painful experiences, actually. And so much of our greatest compassion comes from having processed the most painful experiences in our lives. There's value in all of it. We can't control that destiny, but we can control what we do with it afterwards enormously. And, you know, I would say relax about it in, in one way because your kids will bring you the lessons. You know, if there's something to be found about yourself that you had forgotten, you'll soon enough know it because... Your kids rub up against that. They're, they are the masters of knowing which button to press Aren't through they their behavior. Ever? Yeah. And those things that come up again and again and again as a habit that you hear yourself thinking about your child over and over and over again. Next time you have a moment, take a moment to reflect how was that for you as a child? There'll be a story that unfolds for you. Some feelings that come up. Really pay attention to the feelings that come up in your body. You trust that because. We lie with our language, but the body can't lie. It doesn't know how to. It tells the truth. Oh, that's yeah. quite a profound and uh, interesting shift mm. on a big situation or a disruptive situation with your child to actually go, how does this sit as a memory for me? It, does that bring something up? Can I sit? I've never actually sat there and gone, okay, well, how does this play back to my childhood Is there something in my childhood? It might be hard because as you talk about, a lot of these memories are implicit memories. They're not actual explicit stories we we can remember, are they? Yeah, but but even without uh, remembering the narrative, the actual story, um, what your body does recall and bring back to you is it'll be like, it's as if this was happening for me. I feel as if this was happening for me. And I've learned to really trust that feeling. You know, even if it uh, if it's not true in detail, right? In, in the fact of um, you know where I was and who I was with, but the feeling is true of an experience for you that's been very important and that still wants some kind of a response and an answer. So, if what you recall is is you know a, a painful feeling of being very alone, for instance, even if you can't remember when that was, was I in the playground? Was I you know, lost in a shopping mall? Was I alone in a darkened room? I don't know, but I'm feeling these feelings of great aloneness. Value that and give that a response. Maybe it's time to learn how to reach out a little bit better, 
to take the risk, to not self-abandon, to make that important for yourself. And then the flow-on effect is how you then treat your children gets changed by how well you feed your own emotional needs. But just real quick, if I may, I, I wanted to complete what I was going to say to your earlier question. That You said, what, what does somebody do that's had a really, really rough trot as a child, trauma, etc.? The first step is to come out of the denial about that. It'll hurt to do so, and it's the best thing you'll ever do. Because the next thing is that the more that we find people that we can trust enough to talk about it, telling our story, to someone that's interested and shows a bit of empathy, starts to remove the, uh, it sort of disempowers the, the hold that that story has on around our throats. The more that we do that and the more that we can observe it a little bit from a distance and in fact start to gain some kind of meaning that serves our new relationships in our lives. So we do have to find these safe sacred spaces for ourselves where we can talk through our pain if there's been pain in our lives and it, it, this might sound like a mad thing to say but there's immense beauty in that when you finally find a, a, a place of dialogue with one other person or sitting in a circle where you can open up about those things and let some of the emotion flow it is so connective it is so nourishing to the heart and it it's intimacy building you know i think that's their deepest longing to get to feel safe enough to get real with one another and to see the other people we're with getting real with us it makes us feel so close that's a tribe building exercise as it were so what are some things that mums can do if this is triggering some big emotions for them yes Thank you for the question because I think the emotional safety is, is, is absolutely paramount. Um, and so I, I, I speak a lot about how to make this a safe process in my book. The first thing that I want you to know is that um, if there's been trauma in your past, in your childhood, it isn't a requirement to kind of relive that emotionally to its full force. It isn't. And in fact, it's not advisable. So that if you are starting to sink too deep into those experiences, there's things that you can do to trigger yourself into an adult state as well. You know, anything that's adult like stand up, make a cup of coffee, uh, write an email, it starts to re-trigger you and, uh, into an adult state and create a little bit of distance from those painful, scary experiences. It's just really about getting just close enough to what happened and how you felt as a child that you can get those big aha uh, no wonder kind of realizations about yourself, which is that that's what brings a flood of compassion and self-compassion is the objective. It's the aim of the whole thing. Otherwise, always consider the possibility of working with a counselor, a psychologist, a health professional that can help to kind of hold you through these healing experiences. If the waters you're sailing get too rough, don't do it alone. Just to wrap up, what's one thing us mums can do who are sitting here now going, we want to better understand our childhoods um, so we can you know, be better parents for our kids? What's one thing we can go away and do today to kick that off? If I only have 
One thing that I can say is listen to the feelings that come up inside you and validate those feelings. Be curious about where those feelings come from because they're not all about the child in front of you. Robin, thank you so much. Thanks, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.